Well, hey, good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Wonderful. For those of you online, thank you so much for joining with us. Uh, if you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. Uh, and uh, if this is your first time or newish time, we are so grateful that you chose to be with us, whether online or here in person. Um, you may have heard Lisa and I were on vacation celebrating our 20th anniversary with a group of friends in the Dominican Republic last week, and it was such a blessing to be there. Um, I want to give a thank you, and if we give a thank you to the staff and our leaders, and Jennifer Colby just brought fire last week. I got to listen online. Can we just give a thank you for what God's doing there? Um, during worship, I was thinking about Psalm 150. The last Psalm talks about praise him with all the bands and the instruments and the lyres and all that. And I look over and Jeremy's like, on the drums. And I was like, dude, rock on bro. Uh, and it was great because here's the thing is like, I watch our worship team and, and the work that's going on there. But you know what I love is that worship isn't just happening here. It's happening before here. Um, which is allowing and helping us to enter in. And so um, can we just give a thank you to our worship team and to Sean and our people in the booth and sound? Um, I know that they're not doing it ultimately for you. They're doing it for the Lord because it's it's an act of worship for them. And, and it's so grateful to see what God is doing there. Um, last week, Jennifer brought part three of our Holy Spirit series at the end of Galatians. Now, for those of you who have been here for most of the Galatians series, we are now coming to the end. Next week is the final week on Galatians. And my hope is, is that as we've been going through Galatians, you'll realize that there's a story, a theme throughout the whole book. This is the benefit of walking through a book of the Bible. So often what we do is pastors will take just a snippet of a scripture and preach on that. But when we walk through a whole text, we see this movement of where the Bible, whatever the author, whoever the author is, is where the Holy Spirit is inspiring and trying to reveal a greater story, a greater narrative. And what Paul is ultimately getting to in Galatians is this Holy Spirit-filled life. And last week, Jennifer did a phenomenal job of reminding us that part of the Spirit-filled life is that we don't walk away from people when they're struggling. That as Christians, part of what it means to be in community is that when somebody is wrestling through sin or a burden, that when you're part of the church, part of the community, we're called to be with one another, to carry each other's backpack, as you will. She did that great illustration with the three different backpacks. And I'll be the first to say, church hasn't always done that well, has it? That sometimes when people are struggling, the church sometimes is the last place people want to go because they're afraid they're going to be rejected or shamed. And just quite frankly, sometimes the gossip mill happens in the church. And, and Jennifer brought a reminder to us that part of the Spirit-filled life is that we're not called to do this alone. And in fact, when somebody is dealing with sin, when we're in community, we're actually called to come to them and restore them gently. That that is actually part of the Holy Spirit's work in the church, that we're supposed to be different than the world. And I appreciated that she reminded us from the text that those of us who are more mature in faith, the word is not completely mature. None of us are completely mature. You have those who are more mature in their faith, healthier in their faith, that they're supposed to walk carefully alongside of others to restore them, lest they be tempted and fall into sin themselves. And the sin there is not that if they struggle with alcohol, that now you're going to struggle with alcohol. It's the sin of pride. It's the sin that somehow you might go, well, I'd never do that. 
And it's a humble reminder that all of us need Jesus. Amen? And if you're not a Christian, if you're checking out a church for the first time, if you're here because you were invited because of a baptism or you just thought you'd wander in or somebody invited you, the church is not filled with perfect people. In fact, I would argue no perfect people are allowed. The reality is, is that all of us have those moments where we're going to struggle, which is why we need the Spirit, but also why we need a Spirit-filled community, a community who will walk beside us in truth and love and grace, people who will speak into our lives. And she gave this powerful challenge that I hope you heard. We all need people that we invite into our lives who are willing to say hard things. How many of you have people in your life that will say hard things to you? Raise your hand. It's hard to find them, isn't it? Because I have people who want to say hard things to me, but I never invited them in. You know what I'm saying? Like there are some people who they want to come and challenge me, but I'm like, I don't have a relationship with you. I'll tell you the, the, the practicalness of this is so important to me as a Christian, as a pastor, even on our staff, I have purposely set up accountability people on staff and in my personal life who are willing to say the hard things to me. To give you an example, we have a rule in our staff, and I implemented it a year ago, which was this. Uh, any person on my staff, if I ever lead sideways, in other words, sometimes maybe I've had a bad day, or I say something that came across wrong, or maybe my attitude's just not great, every single one of them has the right to come and confront me on it, in grace and love, but to say the hard thing. But one of the things that I ultimately implemented was an executive team with Pastor Derek, who is our executive pastor, and Megan, who's the executive director. They're there to make sure that I'm holding true to the convictions that God has laid on my heart, to say the hard things to me, to challenge me, to times when I'm operating or leading sideways to carry that burden with me. I didn't just set up this teamwork structures to make the church burden lighter. And don't get me wrong, it's hard. Doing church, leading church can be hard, but when a team, it's a whole lot easier. But their ultimate job is to be able to say the hard things. Not only do I need that, but you need that. And if you don't have that in your life, I hope that you'll find it because the goal is, is every single one of us at some point in our life are going to slip up. We're all going to struggle. We're all going to have sins. We're all going to have those areas of brokenness or pain that show up. And the sad reality is, and this is why belonging to a church is so important, we're supposed to find that in the church community. And we're supposed to have, the church is meant to be our family, the place where we can have that, where when I'm struggling, but that means I have to be in family for them to know I'm struggling. I have to have relationship. And so I, I so appreciated what Jennifer brought, but here's what we're really getting to, because the truth is, is what we talked about last week is actually feeding into this week in part four of the Spirit-Filled Life. Um, about three and a half years ago, we had a staff retreat at uh, Jason and Megan Dennis's house. They live out in the farm country, and, and their house, there's a, they got a driveway that goes down, and it was right after an ice storm. And there was snow on the ground, there was ice on the ground, and we had all of our staff there, all of our cars. And it was the end of the day, and as we were getting to leave, uh, two people left, no problem. And all of a sudden we realized that most of the cars that we had were not prepared for a hill with ice. And here we are, there's like 14 of us all sitting down and people are trying to drive and we're slipping. Like literally people are falling. It was comical to watch. We're all struggling and to get in. And, and ultimately we had, it took us about 45 minutes to get six vehicles up. And we're laughing because of how comical it is because we all feel stuck. Our tires are spinning. Now, how many of you have ever felt stuck before? How do you ever feel? Maybe you're feeling stuck right now. Maybe you're feeling stuck in your marriage. 
Maybe you feel stuck at your job or maybe it's your personal life, your health. Maybe it's your spiritual life. That feeling of stuck is not a new thing. It's something that happens. It's that sense of hitting a plateau or a valley or being caught in, a, in the snow drift when you can't get your grip, you can't get tires underneath it. And the only reason why we were able to get up up that hill wasn't because of our own effort. It's because we worked together as a team and we created a way to fix the problem. Now, here's the thing that we find. When we talk about this idea of being stuck, this is actually something God cares a lot about. You may not realize it. In fact, the text that we're going to read today is that God truly does care that you're not living a stuck life. That God wants you to be in a place where you are moving forward in the direction and the places that God wants you to go. Because a spirit-filled life is not a stuck life. And part of the reason why we need community, sometimes we get stuck in sin. And the whole point of a community is to come together so we can get unstuck with community, but also with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, this is what we're going to be looking at. And here's my thing. If you may be feeling stuck, maybe God brought you here this morning or online because he wants to give you maybe some motivation to help you get unstuck. Uh, it's not a new thing. It's, it's certainly something that's been popular in culture before, but there's a new rise in the last five or six years that more and more authors and speakers are talking about people being stuck. And the way that they address this is through a six-letter word, habits. The reason why we get stuck are because of the habits in our life the habits that we create. And now what's crazy is this isn't a new thing. And in fact, uh, modern science is kind of catching up to what the Bible's been saying for over 2,000 years, is that our habits matter. Our habits ultimately are what propel us into being stuck or unstuck. And so as we look at this, uh, you may have heard this. When I grew up, this is what I was told. It takes 21 to 28 days to form or break a habit. How many of you guys remember hearing that? Very popular notion. It was actually popularized by a psychologist in the 1960s who wrote a paper that he assumed and wrote his position that on average it takes 21 to 28 days to make or break a habit. Now here's the thing. Um, it's not true. Talk to anybody who has someone or they themselves have been battling an addiction. Uh, this was so popular that in the early 2000s, there was a movie with Sandra Bullock, 28 Days. How many of you guys remember that movie, 28 Days? Great movie, but it's about a woman who's an alcoholic, and in order to save her life, she ends up going to rehab for 28 days. Ta-da, that's all it takes to break an addiction. If you know people who are stuck in addictions of drugs, alcohol, pornography, or anything else, that doesn't work. Uh, I've bitten my nails since I was six years old. Horrible habit, I know. Uh, and I'm not going to ask you fellow nail biters. I know you're out there because I've met some of you. I went a year one time without biting my nails. Gritted. I'm just oh, I'm not going to do it. And then one day I was watching a movie and my hand went up and I didn't think about it and I bit my nail. For you nail biters, you'll completely understand. The minute you bite one nail, what do you have to do? You got to bite all the rest, right? A year of work down the drain. A year of trying my hardest to break this bad habit. All it took was one unguarded moment and I slipped right back in to the old habit. This is true of our lives. And part of the Spirit-filled lives is that God wants to remind us that our habits matter to God. That our habits are part of what allow us to live in a Spirit-filled life. Now, as we look at this, I want to tell you, here's the thing. The reason why most of us get stuck 
It's because somewhere along the line, we created habits or stayed in a habit that didn't move us forward. Now, how do I get there and why are we there? Well, here's a couple promises. I'm going to make you a promise right now. First thing is, I'm not going to give you five simple ways to create a new habit. I remember back in the 80s and 90s, early 2000s, there were sermons and books that just promised if you did X, Y, Z, you'd have this. And guess what? I tried X, Y, Z, and it didn't work. How many of you guys remember listening to those sermons, reading those books, going to those seminars? Here's the simple process. Do this. There is no simple process. It doesn't exist. So I'm not going to come and tell you today, if you do these five things, miraculous things are going to happen. You're going to have a spirit-filled life. doesn't work like that. But the Bible does talk about five principles in this text about habits. And if we look at these principles about habits, we'll realize that there's a reason why so often we struggle with becoming who God wants us to be. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. First of all, using Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, but also looking at what modern neuroscience is revealing to us about our habits and the power of being stuck. See, here's the thing. Science and Scripture don't go against each other. They can actually work hand in hand. Part of it is because science addresses a question that Scripture doesn't, and Scripture addresses a question that science doesn't. Does that make sense? They're not competing. And so it's okay. I think, in fact, there's beauty in seeing what we're learning through this gift that God gave us as a mind. How many of you are scientifically minded people? Like you like research and reading, watching National Geographic. You love the mind stuff. That's me. I'm a geek for this stuff. I love reading books on neuroscience. And we're going to find that the principles that are revealed are things that God has put in place and has actually talked about in Scripture for thousands of years. And there are three immediate gifts that God has given us, incredible gifts that God has given us that we're now beginning to see through science that is being affirmed. The first is God gave us a brain. You have a brain, don't check it out at the door. You're supposed to use your brain. Second, God gave us community. The people in your life will help increase or decrease the helpful habits in your life. Um, I want to give a plug to celebrate recovery. It's on Thursday nights. Celebrate Recovery came into being to deal with people who were struggling with addictions and wanted a different model than Alcoholics Anonymous, which is still a great tool, but it's more scripture-minded. Here's the thing about Celebrate Recovery. The goal is not just about creating new habits. It's about creating a new community. Did you know that the top two reasons why people go to Celebrate Recovery is not drugs and alcohol or pornography? It's food and people-pleasing. Think about that. Food and people-pleasing. We all have habits, things in our lives that limit us. And Paul, through the work of the Holy Spirit, wants to push on these things. Would you stand with me as we read our text this morning? This is Galatians 6, 7 through 10. And here is the scripture. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians, first book of the epistles. Gentiles eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. You're welcome for that if you haven't heard it before. Here we go. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. 
Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Here ends the reading of God's Word. You may be seated. Paul kind of starts off, uh, and it's, uh, it's an interesting challenge, because it's like he goes like full tilt, God will not be mocked. And I can imagine people going, wait, 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 who's mocking God? I'm not mocking God. Are you mocking God? And then he goes, you reap what you sow. God will not be mocked. Now, it's important to realize that Galatians 6, 7 through 10 has to do with a larger text, a larger story. It's not just a standalone verse. He's been dealing with a church that is struggling with racism. There's division. There's sin issues. And then in chapter 5, he goes in and he talks about the life and the spirit, that we're supposed to live contrary to the flesh, that we are called to live a spirit-filled life, empowered by the spirit. And then in 6, we come to last week where Jennifer talked about this idea that we are to call to carry one another's burdens, to restore people when they sin. And then Paul immediately jumps into, God will not be mocked. You reap what you sow. Why does he go there? Well, so here's the thing. God created the laws of nature. And I believe that the laws of nature are meant to be a reflection of spiritual laws of nature. Let me give you an example. Uh, in law of gravity, I don't know whose mask this is, but I apologize. I'm getting my hands all over it. If I drop this, which direction is it going to go? Down, because of the law of gravity. No one is shocked if I drop this and it drops. We all know what goes up must come down. Now, I realize there's more to it than just that. But the only way that something that this will not drop is if something interacts or enacts itself upon it another will. So if I drop this, it goes. If it stops, it's because something else acted upon it. Here's the spiritual law. We have sin nature, which is constantly pulling us away from God, drawing us back into our sin. Does that make sense? And the only thing that stops our sin nature is not us. It's Jesus acting upon us. It's the Holy Spirit working in us. That's what I mean. You have a physical law that is meant to reveal a spiritual law. Well, Paul is going to reveal another spiritual law that for us, especially living in Iowa, will make a lot of sense. It's the law of sowing and reaping. He uses a tangible illustration, something that every farmer in the ancient world understood, which is you reap what you sow. And there are two primary ways to look at this. And imagine the word sowing equals habits. Whatever you sow are the small habits. Uh, now, I've been with farmers and I've been in Brad Watson's combine. I still think that thing's a magical, mysterious machine. I don't understand it. But I want you to think about what goes into the life of sowing the seeds of corn or soybean, okay? So there are two things we immediately learn about sowing. First of all, you sow, you reap what you sow. Whatever you sow, you will reap. The second is, whatever you don't sow, you will not reap. If you don't sow it, you don't reap it. It's just how it works. For example, if I'm with Brad and he sows corn, he's not expecting soybean. Duh. Of all of a sudden, a soybean sprouts up. He doesn't go, that's a miracle. He goes, I must have accidentally sowed soybean. Whatever you sow, you reap. But if you don't sow something, you will not reap it. 
And here's why God will not be mocked. This is why Paul starts with this. And it's because the world tells you that you can sow what you want and you can reap what you want, get the benefits you want, and somehow still expect God to bless it. Those habits that you do, you either have sowing into the flesh or you have sowing into the spirit. And some habits are not bad in themselves. They actually start off really good, but a good habit can turn bad really fast. Let me give you an example. When I was in high school, I had just become a Christian in 1989 at First Baptist Church of El Cajon, a church I'm forever grateful for. I encountered Jesus there. We had Sunday morning church, Sunday night church. Then after Sunday night church, we had youth group called After Hours. And then on Wednesday, we had youth group. And then I had worship practice. And then on, third, on Friday nights, a group of us would get together every Friday, about five or six of us with the youth pastor, and we would pray for three or four hours. Now that sounds, those are all good habits until they weren't good. Those good habits ultimately turned bad. They started off in trying to please the spirit. But eventually, you know what I ended up sowing in that? Legalism and pride. I started now judging people who only went to church on Sundays. Now, don't get me wrong. Was it a good thing to go to church and go to Sunday night church and go to youth group afterwards and then Wednesday night afterwards and then worship practice and then prayer? Absolutely. But my flesh took over and what started off as a good habit ultimately became a bad habit because what it sowed in me was legalism and pride. Because it's not like there's a book, Hesitations chapter 3, which tells us good Christians go to church five days a week. That doesn't exist. It's not in there. The Bible does tell us that we're not to forsake the gathering of the people, that church is necessary, but it doesn't say you must go five times a week. No, we're just supposed to make it a habit of being in community, to belong to one another. We have a lot of habits in our lives, even as Christians, that start off good and then ultimately turn their ugly habit, turn around on us and bite us and they become a bad habit. Did you know you have theological habits? Things that you believe about God that sometimes get twisted and actually started off as something good and then led you away into something bad. That's what mine was with church. I started thinking that God loved me more because I went to church more. That somehow if I did this, God would show me more favor but then I started judging other people. We had a theological habit in the book of Galatians of racism, believing that Jews were good, Gentiles were bad. All this entire book is rooted in these false ideas that started off as good habits but became bad. And so as we look at sowing, we're going to talk about these five principles about habits, about sowing and reaping. And notice again, I made a promise to you. I'm not going to give you five easy steps. That's not what these are. These are principal truths that we learn about what it means to sow in the Lord. The first one is this. Whatever you sow into, you grow into. Whatever you're sowing, whatever habits that you sow into, you will ultimately grow into. It is a spiritual truth. If you are sowing into things that please the flesh, then you will become a person that seeks to please the flesh. If you're a person who sows into things that pleases the Holy Spirit, you become a person who seeks to please the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? You guys tracking with me so far? Now, we see this regularly, and it's let's be clear, as Christians, 
We struggle with this. There are things in my life that I have sowed into that are not of the Lord. And there are things my desire is, I want to look more like Jesus. I want to be a spirit-led person, but I have this battle inside of me between flesh and spirit. And so this is why we need community, why we need people around us. In those times when we're sowing the wrong thing, we need people who love us enough to speak truth enough to say, hey, what are you sowing into? Why are you sowing into that relationship with that person? That person doesn't love Jesus. The second principle is equally important, and it's this. Flesh and spirit both produce fruit. See, I I used to believe, and I fell into this trap of thinking that only good things came out of Christians because only Christians produce fruit. Nope, everybody produces fruit. It's just whether or not it's poisonous or healthy. Is it spirit or flesh? And one of the things, and you've heard me say this before, I know non-Christians who do good things. What makes the, the fruit poisonous isn't because it's good, it's because it's not godly. The focus is not on doing it for the Lord, it's for doing it for themselves or for humanity. We see this in Isaiah, Isaiah 64, 6, it says this, All of us has become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. See, it's not just about producing fruit. It's are you producing spirit-filled, spirit-led fruit? Because we're all going to produce fruit of some sort. Whatever you sow into, you grow into. I want you to think about this. In Genesis chapter 3, the garden, Eve looked at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it looked upon it, and it looked good and pleasing, good to eat and pleasing to the eye. It looked like good fruit. They ate it, and what happened? It led to their demise. Not all fruit is good. And so here's the challenge for us. Our job as Christians is we want to have Spirit-led, spirit-pleasing fruit. Now, in Galatians 5, we did this a couple weeks ago, Paul broke down two lists. He talked about the fruit of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And I think we would all agree that we all know that there are some sins, some fruit that we go, obviously not good. For instance, I don't think any one of us, Christian or not, would believe that excessive drinking and drugs, gambling, pornography, affairs, witchcraft, and the like, I think we'd all agree those are dangerous and deadly. But then Paul takes it to the next level, to one that all of us need to give heed to. He then goes to idolatry, hatred and discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissension, and factions. Now, don't forget, this whole book, Galatians, started with the poisonous fruit of racism and legalism and pride. Those are the underbelly. Those are the things that we're not always aware of. You see, sowing into creating habits in our lives that fool us into believing our salvation and identity is found in our own self-righteousness is just as poisonous and as deadly as most evil of sins. They're, not, they're the same to the Lord. When you believe that you've got life figured out and that you don't need Jesus, that's just as poisonous as drugs, alcohol, witchcraft, dissensions, all those things. Pride is just as deadly as a sin. Which is why last week Jennifer reminded us that the Spirit-filled life 
keeps us grounded and being reminded that we all need Jesus, which is why when I encounter a brother and sister in the Lord who is struggling, I don't come with condemnation. I show them the kindness that God showed me, still truth and kindness, but we walk beside them. We don't abandon them. We all want to produce fruit. Uh, There's a book by a guy named James Clear. It's called Atomic Habits. If you've read it, well done. If you haven't, check it out. It's a phenomenal book. Here's what James Clear writes in Atomic Habits. All big things come from small beginnings. The seed of every habit is a single, tiny decision. But as that decision is repeated, a habit sprouts and grows stronger. Roots entrench themselves and branches grow. The task of breaking a bad habit is like uprooting a powerful oak within us. And the task of building a good habit is like cultivating a delicate flower one day at a time. Now, I don't know if James Clear is a Christian or not, but I'll tell you what he just said there is very biblical. The only way that we can truly get the habits of sin in our li- out of our lives is through the power of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's why we need the gospel. You cannot will yourself into it. We need the Holy Spirit and the gospel in our lives. I want to read one last quote from him because this one kind of made me go, oh, wow. Okay, ready? Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Let me say that again. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Modern science, neurology, is simply confirming what the Bible's been telling us for 2,000 years. That the things you sow into, you will ultimately reap. I think about the farmer, those, that farming and planting is tedious. Now, we have machines that do it, but back then... You put a seed in, you put a seed in, you put a seed in. You were very thoughtful about where you put the seed. And it's the same repetitive action over and over again because you know that if you plant that seed, you will get a harvest. The small decisions we make matter. They matter to us because at the end of the day, they produce something. Now, I'll tell you as a pastor, this is really important to me. Because in in recent months and years, I believe that God is revealing something in the church. I think God is doing a house cleaning throughout churches in America. I don't know if it's going on in the world, but we're seeing pastors of mega churches, well-known, amazing preachers, teachers, leaders, people who've written books, who've done seminars, people that I've deeply respected who are now falling from grace, who are, are losing their ministries, losing their reputation. We're seeing this happen all the time. Matter of fact, another one just happened this last week and a half. Another well-known pastor. Why did that happen? Well, here's the thing. Somewhere along the way, and I believe these men and women love Jesus, they sowed into the wrong thing. They started sowing in to please the flesh, not the spirit. Let me give you an example here. Some of them have started to, they sowed into their giftings instead of their character. And the problem is, and and this is a challenge for us as the church, we love gifted, talented pastors. We care more about their competency than their character. We elevate people. We go, oh, but look, it's such a great teacher. But inside, they're spiritually sowing into the wrong things. They're sowing more into their social media platform, into their book sales, into their bank account, into the size of their church. And churches eat it up because we look at it and go, but look at all the good they're doing. Look at all the amazing things that are happening in the church. And I'm not immune to that danger. I'm not. 
And so as I read these challenges, this is why I have accountability set up. Because if you need it, I need it. If I need it, you need it. We need people into our lives that will not lie to us about ourselves because I'm pretty good at lying to myself. Are you good at lying to yourself? These habits, what you sow into, you grow into. If you're sowing into your power and authority, you're sowing into the wrong thing. If you're sowing into your preaching platform, if I'm sowing into just becoming a better communicator, but I'm not sowing into my relationship with Jesus, this is a farce. That's what this becomes. I have to preach to myself before I ever preach to you. So when I read these words, this is a challenge for me because I'm not immune to this. I need that. And this is why I go back to Jennifer's message last week, why it was so important for us to have. We all need people who will speak truth, who will carry the burden with us, who in those moments when we're sowing into the wrong thing, will say, hey, that's the wrong thing to sow into. Stop sowing into that. What are you sowing into that's ultimately going to lead to destruction, not to life? Do you have someone in your life that knows you well enough, that sees you well enough to be able to say, hey, that's the wrong, that's the wrong field. Stop sowing into that field. Stop sowing into that lifestyle, that belief. We need it in our lives. And this is what Paul is getting to because at the end of the day, what you sow into, you grow into. You will produce a fruit. The question is, is it a fruit of righteousness or a fruit of selfishness? And this is the challenge that God brought to me. It starts with those small habits. Now, I think there's a reason why Paul chose to use the illustration through the Holy Spirit of fruit and sowing. And it's because God cares more about the natural than the supernatural. Let me explain what I mean by this. Sometimes as Christians, we get obsessed with the supernatural, forgetting that it's the day-to-day things we do that are in the natural that lead to supernatural growth. Does that make sense? God cares about the natural. What you do in your everyday life matters. Your health, your relationships, your mental health, your sexual health, your relational health. These things matter to God just as much as your spiritual health does. And yet we tend to focus on the natural. Again, notice it's called the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, speaking in tongues, doing prophecy. No, those things are gifts. They are not the fruit. The fruit comes from sowing into the things of the Lord. If you want love, you need to sow love. If you are a person who struggles with greed sow into generosity. If you're someone who struggles with with pride, sow into humility. If you struggle with laziness, if you tend to reap laziness, sow into stewardship. These are the things that God is calling us to. And the reason that Paul in verses 6 and 9 and 10 brings us to practical, tangible things, listen to this. Let us not become weary in doing good. Not being good, doing good. Why does he tell us not to become weary? Because these things are hard. They're tiring. 28 days is not enough. It is a lifetime. It is daily making choices. That's why Jesus said, you must daily pick up your cross and follow me. It is a daily choice. What are you sowing into? The tangible things you do 
matter. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't believe in the supernatural. I do. I believe in the gift of tongues and in miracles. I've seen God do those things. But I think God cares way more about what you do in the natural than he does in the supernatural. The supernatural is the byproduct of living a natural life for Jesus, not the other way around. And so when we talk about being spirit-filled, spirit habits, this leads us into habit or the, the truth about habits number three. You guys ready? I want to read these again. Whatever you sow into, you grow into. Second, flesh and spirit both produce fruit. And then third, they take time, effort, and grit. We get the time and effort. The grit is the hard part. Angela Duckworth wrote a book called Grit, and here's what she tells us about grit. Grit is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. One way to think about grit is to consider what grit isn't. Grit isn't talent, super spiritual gifts. I put that there. Grit isn't luck. It doesn't just happen. Grit isn't how intensely for the moment you want something. Instead, grit is about having what some researchers call and researchers call an ultimate concern. A goal you care about so much that it organizes and gives meaning to almost everything you do. And grit is holding steadfast to that goal. Even when you fall down, even when you screw up, even when progress towards that goal is halting or slowing, grit keeps you going because it's not about your perfection, it's about our persistence. We're going to sow into the wrong things. And when we do, we repent, we confess, we say, Jesus, I'm done. We stop sowing into that and we sow into spirit-led things, things that please the spirit. And when that happens, we begin to see things. Now, here's why it requires, why we're not supposed to grow weary. It takes time. There's a reason why when you meet somebody who's a new believer, it might be years before you see the fruit of the spirit in their life. Did you know the reason why we plant corn and soybean is because it actually yields a harvest pretty quickly. An apple tree takes three to five years before you get fruit. There's a plant in the desert called the giant bromelade poya ramundi that takes 180 to 150 years to produce its first flowers. The reason why we grow weary is because we want instantaneous. We want to be different people now. Well, I prayed Jason, I prayed and I'm still dealing with that addiction. I, you know, I can't tell you how many times I have people say, well, Jason, I've been praying for this addiction to go away, this feeling, this, this belief, and it's not going away. But I pray and I pray and I pray. First of all, I believe there's a reason why it takes time is because perseverance produces character. I think God would be cruel if he just took away all of our addictions like that because we didn't learn anything from it. We didn't do the work. What you sow into, you grow into. You need grit. Which leads us to the fourth truth about habit. Principle number four, practical habits please the Spirit. I'm talking more than praying and reading your Bible. Those are good. They're great, actually. But you'll notice Paul tells us to not grow weary in doing good. And that good isn't just for other people. It's also for yourself. Jesus said, love your neighbor as you love yourself. We are called to take care of ourselves, to do good for ourselves, which means your mental health matters to the Lord. Your physical health matters to the Lord. These are spiritual things, and they can get twisted. I mean, we've all met people who go to the gym too much. We all met people who put too much stock, like they worship at the altar of Whole Foods, right? We know people like that. These habits are good 
because they ultimately allow us to pour into others. This is why we actually changed our vision statement. We now want to be a Tove church. What does Tove mean? Hebrew. It's Hebrew for the word good. We want to be a church that does good, but more importantly, brings God's goodness into the world. And it starts by taking care of ourselves, which is why Paul then brings the other thing. And he says, listen, look for every opportunity to do good to all people, but especially to those in the church. You want to know why you tithe, why you serve in a church, why you're in a small group, why we're there for each other? It's because when you belong to a community, you are a family. We are a family. You are my, you are my brothers and sisters in Jesus. I am not your father. This is how I know the Catholics. I have my Catholic brothers and sisters. They want to call me Father Jason. I'm like, I'm only a daddy to two people and you ain't one of them. You are my brothers and sisters in Christ. Can I share with you what God's been doing in me recently? And I share this because you're my family. Two and a half years ago, I was in the best shape of my life in a healthy way. I was taking care of myself physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, sexually, all those things, right? Taking care of myself the way God wanted me to. And then COVID and life happened. And I started sowing into some things that were not healthy. And this year, as we started 2022, I saw, I, I was, praying. And I'm like, okay, God, what I want a theme for the year. I need to kind of put a focus. And he led me to this text, to Galatians 6, 7 through 10. This is my year of sowing. And specifically, I need to start sowing into physical health, taking better care of my body, because this is a reflection of my relationship with Jesus. I need to start sowing into my marriage in a healthier way, into my children into a healthier way, into my leadership as a healthier way. What are you sowing into? Because the physical, God cares about that as much as the supernatural. My daily habits, your daily habits matter to God. We ultimately are called to take care of ourselves so that we can take care of others. And the reason why we're called to take care of the church first is that imagine for a moment if I had a family who lived next door to me and they were struggling financially and my, struggle, my family's struggling financially. And I'm like, well, I love Jesus, so I'm going to feed them before I feed my own children. What happens if I feed somebody else's kids and my kids are starving? What kind of parent am I? Not a very healthy one. We are family. That's our goal. We are meant to be family. The reason why you're supposed to be a part of a church, and if you're not a part of a church, oh, I want to invite you to be a part of our family. God's doing some pretty awesome stuff here. But the reason why you're supposed to be in a family, in a church, is that when life happens, and it will happen, that you have people who will come alongside of you and carry you along in those times that are difficult. Sometimes that's financially. It's usually relationally. Sometimes it's as simple as a guy like Scott Lester coming and helping me put in a toilet. Like that's, I'm not joking. Like those are, those are practical, tangible things because this leads us to our final principle. And you guys ready for this? This is the final principle. Sowing into others is actually sowing into yourself. When you actually sow into the church and you sow into other people's lives, you are in fact sowing back into yourself and you will reap a harvest of righteousness. Notice not one of those were five easy steps. These are daily choices that we make that are hard, that are difficult. I want to end with a story that Jesus tells and, and it's a quantifiable story. And for years I thought the story was about one thing and then I learned it was about something else. It's the story of the sower. And for your, if you're new to church or not familiar with the story, Jesus tells this parable about a farmer. And he goes out and he scatters seeds. And he talks about four types of soil. The first soil, well, well, the ground was too firm. And so the roots went down a little bit, but not deep enough. And ultimately the birds came and, and they picked it away. 
And then there was, then there was, uh, there was rocky soil and the seed just couldn't break in all the way and the birds picked it away. And then there was the hardened soil that was filled with weeds and thorns and the, the roots could just never take and the birds picked it away. But there was the right soil, the right conditions, the right heart. For years, I was told the purpose of this story is to reveal that if you share the gospel with 100 people, 25% will come to Jesus. That's what I was told. And then I read a book by a guy named Joshua Ryan Butler called The Pursuing God. And he brought a different perspective. Would you stand with me as we end this? Here's the perspective he brought. He said, here's the thing. In the ancient world, farmers didn't just throw their seed anywhere. Seed cost money. They were very cautious with where they put seed. What if the point of the story is not to reveal the, to reveal the condition of your heart, but the conditions of God's heart? God is so generous where he sows, he'll even sow it into people who don't want it. What if in our desire to become like Jesus, the challenge is that God wants us to become generous sowers into the spirit? That when we, I mean, we're getting ready to take our offering, right? The greatest offering you can give is not your pocketbook, it's your life. And if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, I want to invite you, do it here and now say, I need Jesus. If you've been sowing into the flesh, if you've been sowing into the wrong thing, repent and start sowing into things that please the Spirit. God is in the business. He is a generous God. He was so generous that he gave his one and only son as a loving sacrifice. In this way, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. We serve a generous God who sows into us generously. He wants us to have his heart to be generous sowers. What are you sowing into? Who are you sowing into? Be a part of what God is doing. As we come to take our offering and to end in worship, would you just pray with me one last time? Holy Spirit, as we come, there are those in this room who've been sowing into the flesh and you know who you are. The Spirit's been speaking into you. There are behaviors, things that you're sowing into, beliefs, lies, people, relationships that God is saying, stop sowing into these. Sow into spiritual relationships of people who love Jesus, who love you. That is the Spirit-filled life. As we come and take our offering, may we be reminded the greatest offering we can give is our lives. And so, Lord, as we lay everything here, our time, our talent, our treasure, we surrender to you in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. We'll now receive our tithe and offering and let's come and worship the Lord.